if you've got a Bible uh, or a tablet or uh, some modern method, um, and would like to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and while you're doing that, let me just say uh, thank you for the invite to come. Um, I come from a church on the green in Bailden, which is a, a small uh, hamlet, little village church. And um, it's good to be able to come to a, a city centre church and to remind ourselves that the Lord's work uh, is present and active here in the city centre. So uh, Hebrews 11, and uh, just to read to you from verse 29. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, about Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And I'll leave it there. Um, I uh, have to confess to you that uh, when I read those words, uh, um, thinking about uh, the story of uh, Samson here in the four chapters of Judges, I just can't help myself, um, or at least my mind turning to that uh, program, The Last of the Summer Wine, where um, three or four old codgers, retired, had nothing better to do than to wander around uh, all day, um, just making a nuisance of themselves, telling each other, stories. Um, I've been banned at my own church. Uh, when I say my own church, it's the Lord's church. I just serve as pastor there, but you know what I mean. I've been banned from telling uh, stories, um, but I'm not there now, so I, uh, I won't be here next Sunday, so I'm going to risk this. Um, when I read those uh, words in, uh, in Hebrews, I th can't stop myself thinking of the uh, old Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman, um, Welshman story, where wandering around like those folk from Last of Summer Wine with nothing else better to do really, um, they lean up against a dry stone wall and the um, Englishman with uh, running out of conversation uh, said, I'm not sure whether I ever told you um, but, um, uh, you know, my first lad, we named him George because he was born on St. George's Day. 
And uh, the Scotsman said, well, that's, I didn't know that. That's, that's surprising me because we, uh, we actually named Andrew um, on the day that he was born. He was born on St. Andrew's Day. And uh, the Welshman said, well, you should have told me this before because we did exactly the same with our third lad. Um, he's called David because he was born on St. David's Day. And uh, the Irishman was very quiet about this. This is why I get letters. <laughs> he was very quiet about this. And uh, eventually he said, wow, wow. That's amazing. I'm really impressed. Because I can never remember when our pancake was born at all. <laughs> and I always think of that when I read this little part of Hebrews. Um, and I wonder, how on earth could the name of Samson ever, ever get in that list? that God holds up in the New Testament as his heroes of faith. I mean, Samson's story in Judges here doesn't put him in a great light as one of God's heroes of faith. Um, but there he is, uh, as large as life in, in that New Testament chapter that says to us, this is what I mean by being a person who puts their faith in God. And I don't know how he got his name there. You see, Samson, of course, was one of Israelite's judges. Uh, he was one of the leaders who led the children of Israel. He led them for 20 years and Samson's story starts out in chapter 13 and uh, there this uh, baby boy is dedicated to God from birth, taking this Nazarite vow which meant that Samson was never to have a haircut uh, along with other kind of things and his flowing locks were an outward visible sign uh, that this was a person whose life was completely given to serve God. God was going to fill Samson's life with a power that no man had had before. And so uh, Samson, with his uh, flowing locks and his great strength, was every man's utter nightmare. But he was also every woman's dream. And his relationship with the ladies would be the cause of his great downfall. And God had chosen, equipped Sam, Samson to carry out God's kingdom purposes, which simply were that he was the man chosen by God to deliver uh, God's people from their enemies. That was God's contract made with Samson. Now, of course, uh, Nazarite vows... Uh, were God's way there in the Old Testament. They don't exist anymore. We have God's New Testament. We have God's New Covenant, I suppose, which is very good news for people uh, like uh, myself um, because a call to have long flowing locks would uh, certainly inhibit my own uh, usefulness. 
Um, but although those Nazarite vows don't exist uh, anymore, the set-apartness that God brings still does. Being set apart for God, being called to serve God is the call of every true Christian. Did you know that? Did you remember that tonight? That, that whoever you are here tonight, if you belong to God, he has called you, he has set you apart to serve him in your particular sphere of living. You've got a, a unique mission field among those that you know well. They know you. They watch you. Um, they are meant to see that your life is different from theirs as unbelievers. Not simply in the fact that you go to church, but in what pleases you. In what is your great priority in your life. In what brings to you the joy, even when the sun's not shining. Samson's set-apartness uh, gave him uh, access to the Spirit's power. He had power from God to go against God's enemies, and every Christian in the New Covenant has the Holy Spirit living in them. And the Holy Spirit of God is there to enable each believer to have power against God's enemies. And uh, I suppose that... Um, we would, as Christian believers, we'd have to admit that today the Christian church is, uh, is full of powerless Christians. Um, one of the reasons that we see that all around us is that we so easily lose that set-apartness, that calling from God, and we replace it with, uh, with our life again that we seek to live. And Samson's road to losing his God-given power started with a selfish compromise. I'll just read to you from, uh, um, from chapter 14 of Judges. The opening verses say this, Samson went down to Timnar and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnar. Now, get her for me as my wife. You see, God had said no to this kind of intermarriage uh, with uh, those opposed to God. But Samson said, well, look, I've seen this woman. Uh, I know all about this business about God, but I've seen this woman. She's good. She's nice. I like her. I like the look of her. So uh, get her. Uh, for me, I'll do it all my way. And we have to say to ourselves, I have to say to myself that uh, um, part of the Christian's powerlessness, part of the church's powerlessness today is that kind of selfish compromise, that we have a clear call from God in the way that we are to live and follow him. And yet so often we find ourselves diverted with the things of this world the ordinary things of life. We're called to live our lives in this world, not as kind of weird hermits, um, but 
to live for God. So that the need of the world is Jesus. And people should be able to see in us. They don't come to church. Um, I uh, carry around, because um, I'm not really brilliantly good at witnessing, I carry around a pocket full of tracks so that uh, when I meet the uh, big issue seller in the middle of Shipley, I always uh, give uh, him some money and a tract. And uh, I was uh, rocked solid um, the other Saturday morning um, as I passed him and gave him a tract. Um, then went on into Asda and then forgot that I should have gone to the bank, so I went back to find he was lighting his cigarette with it. Um, they don't come to church, they don't listen, they don't read our literature, but they do see you. And they do see me. And um, we are meant to have a life that the world looks at and says there is something different about these folk. Something that I don't have. And Samson tells his parents that he's fallen in love with this girl and he wants to marry her. They say to him, you can't do that. She's a Philistine. Philistines are opponents. They're enemies of God. They hate God. You're God's person. He says, I don't care uh, about all that. I'm going to do it my way. And deliberately uh, choosing your way over God's way. I found this out so many times in my Christian life. Deliberately choosing my way over God's way puts me outside of God's will for my life and can easily end up with a person like myself and maybe you being on that downward slippery slope to spiritual coolness. Have you ever felt that? <laughs> you still come along to church, but it's all lost itself somehow. Nobody knows. You sing all the hymns, <laughs> but there's a coolness in your heart. And so not long after marriage to this uh, Philistine, you actually find Samson with woman number two. This time it's a prostitute. And while in town with this prostitute, the Philistines, God's enemies, see a chance to get rid of Samson. They lock the city gates, not like, Ordinary garden gates, these were siege gates, huge big things. Um, they lay in wait for Samson. But again, Samson, empowered by God's Spirit, just lifts the gates off their hinges and carries them 40 miles away. Uh, God is at work in power in Samson's life, even though he is outside of the will of God. And then in the chapter that was read to us, chapter 16, he fastens on another lady. He now loves Delilah. And by this time, the Philistines have had it up to here with Samson. He kills their soldiers. He destroys their crops. No one can seem to stop him. And so seeing that he's fallen in love with Delilah, they come to her and offer her enough money so that she can uh, retire and live in luxury for the rest of her life. If only she can get from Samson the secret to his great strength. So she goes to Samson and uh, says, tell me 
where you get your strength from. And Samson's not only known for his great strength, as you remember the story, he's also known for the one who's uh, uh, often playing tricks and games and riddles, and so he tells Delilah something about his strength that's not true. And the Philistines come in thinking they've got him now, and burst in on him, but, um, but he just smashes them, swats them, uh, like you'd swat a fly. And he does it the second time, third time, fourth time. And uh, Delilah comes to him now with that, uh, that girly stuff, you know. Ladies have that way about them. How can you say you love me? You know that? Well, you, perhaps you don't, but I remember it. Uh, uh, that kind of way that, you know, uh, do you really love me? And... Um, and the Samson um, is caught with all this. And so in verse 16, he says, um, this is the third time Delilah says, you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so he told her everything. Now, of course, that's Old Testament. Um, this uh, day after day's nagging, that's the Old Testament. We don't, husbands and men here, you don't experience that in the New Testament. You, um, ladies don't nag like that any, anymore, um, do they? Um, and uh, Samson says, look, I'll tell you, if my head were shaved... My strength would leave me. I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. And then I would become as weak as any other man. And so uh, Samson is saying, look, I am not like other men. Um, there is something about me that God has set me apart. He knew he was called by God to be different, to be God's man. And I just say to myself, as I say to you, um, how very easily it is for us to forget that we are not like unbelievers. We are different. And that God has done some work in our lives that means that uh, um, being born again, that we should have a very distinctive life. We're not perfect or in any way uh, special, uh, except in this way, that God has set us apart. This doesn't mean that you come to church wearing a suit and carrying a big black Bible on a Sunday. Different means that your life is different now. And so uh, I used to have uh, some little contact with Charles Price at uh, Cape and Ray Hall and he told me that, um, that like me, he used to have to go to church three times on a Sunday, three times on a Sunday, um, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, there was no Sunday school during those services, you, Sunday school was 2.30 in the afternoon, so three services on a Sunday, and he said uh, that uh, as a teenager, he knew exactly how many bricks there were in the wall behind <laughs> the preacher, that he counted them 
dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And uh, his poor mother had a groove in her wrist uh, because of the times that Charles Price, as he listened uh, through the service and particularly to the preacher, would turn, try to turn her watch around to see what time it was. When is this thing ever going to end? Um, only to find that it was only one minute after he turned it round uh, what he thought was half an hour before. It was the most boring thing that he ever endured in the whole of his teenage life until one day as he was in the church. The word of God came to him and opened his eyes and he went home and knelt by his bed and asked Jesus into his life. And the next Sunday he went back and he said, um, well, this is amazing. These people have changed overnight. The whole church has changed overnight. Um, and uh, perhaps most amazing of all is the preacher has changed. There was no one on this earth more boring than this man who waffled on for seemingly hours. But he's changed. Something's happened to him. It's amazing. And the service itself has got miles shorter. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that it was over. And you see, Charles Price was now different. It's completely different. His whole life was changed. And this set-apartness thing that God brings to us, he says, I don't expect you to go out there with a halo over your head, but, but your whole life should be different. Your priorities, the thing you live for, your choices, they all should be different and people will see it. And uh, Jesus reminds us of this when he says to the Apostle Peter, pointing to the big pile of fish, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your career and your finances and your business and your pleasure? Do you love me, Peter, more than all of that? That's all part of life. Of course it is, Peter. I know it's all part of life. We, we don't ditch all that, but do you love me more than that? And if you're not different, if your life is not being walked to the drumbeat of God, and it's not perfect, we all know that, you'll either have a powerless Christian life, or you're not a Christian at all. Because God does this work of change in a person's life. And so we read that when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers returned with the silver in their hands and after putting him to sleep on her lap she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Now of course Samson's strength wasn't in his hair. Uh, strength came from the spirit of the Lord. Samson's hair was just a visible sign of this Nazarite vow and his dedication to God. But that set-apartness gave Samson access to God's 
power in his life. And so in the story, Delilah now lulls him to sleep, which allows them to cut his hair. And you might say to me, well, there you go, <laughs> David. You see, you're, you're talking about this as though it actually happened. It's obviously all myth. It obviously didn't really happen. I mean, no one could uh, have all this long hair cut off and, uh, while they're asleep. It just couldn't happen. It's just part of the story. When we moved to uh, Moorhead in Shipley, um, 17, 18 years ago now, no one ever told us that uh, Moorhead um, is actually right at the end of the Air Valley. The Air Valley uh, starts at North Yorkshire, just outside Skipton with the hills quite wide at that point. And as it progresses along, it narrows down and it narrows down and it narrows down and it ends where Moorhead is, the narrowest point. And um, when the wind blows, it's not massively bad at its widest point, but as that wind blows and gets squeezed in the hills in the air valley, eventually it bursts out at the end with a ferocity that I'm not sure I would have moved there if I'd have known. So about three or four years after... Uh, um, we moved into the house. There was a storm. And uh, whilst uh, I understand the wind blew at about 80 miles an hour elsewhere, at Moorhead it was measured at 96 miles an hour. And the first thing I knew was, as I'd heard on the television, sometimes it sounds like an enormous express train, and that's what it did sound like to me. An incredible noise. But not only that, there was things hitting our window. And I got up and I looked, uh, opened the curtains and I looked, and outside in the street were half the street uh, who were out there trying with ropes to tie things down. The fences had gone. The wheelie bins were smashing against our window. Uh, and so I threw uh, some clothes on and I went outside. And when you opened the door, it just hit you and you know, nearly blew you off your feet. You could not walk hardly. And um, everyone was pointing to not our house or the next door, but the next door on. And I looked to see that their roof, the, the great section of their roof was now in our next door's garden, and the rest of the roof was lifting. And someone had phoned for the emergency services, and within three or four minutes, a, a huge fire engine came roaring up, rounded with its siren going. Uh, they, they couldn't do anything, of course. And this, the, roof was, the, the roof of this house was being lifted, and, and tiles were flying and smashing around. Uh, and and uh, the, the storm was so bad that I realized that there was nothing you could do, and I just almost on my hands and knees made my way back into the house so wide awake that I decided I wouldn't go back to bed um, and by the morning it had almost blown itself out and I went upstairs to find my wife utterly totally fast asleep <laughs> and I said to her what a storm what storm 
the whole of the of the cul-de-sac was in chaos. The neighbor's roof was partly in our garden. There were sheds, fences, everything had gone. My wife slept through the lot of it. So don't tell me that Samson couldn't be asleep. If he was anything like Paul, he could have cut his head off. Uh, and she wouldn't have known. But I say to you, as I bring this to a close now, when life is lived outside of God's call, we lose the sense of God's presence. That's what you lose. You lose the real sense of God's presence. You still go through all the motions, all the things in church. But when we, when we live our life outside of that distinctive call of God on our lives to make him first, we lose that sense of his presence with us. And for Samson, the result was disaster. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. Samson is now taken by the enemy. He's bound. He's blinded. He's a prisoner for life. He's in constant pain. Becomes a slave. And when you live your life for you, You find that you give the world and the enemy of God a power over you that it's not supposed to have. And the enemy will blind you to the truth. And the enemy will bind you. And that coolness will come into your heart again. And the enemy will bring defeat into your life. And so the end of all this... We read now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate saying our God has delivered Samson our enemy into our hands. They're having a great party now. Thousands and thousands of them all gathered together shouting Dagon, Dagon, Dagon. Oh, tell me about this God of the Israelites. Dagon has done it. Great celebration. Samson, God's hero, is now bound, blinded, powerless before God's enemy. How did he ever get into the New Testament as a man of faith? I'll tell you why. Because what he did lost started to come back. You see, Samson now comes to God. He prays a very different prayer. He prays to God in his brokenness and in repentance, and he says to God, O oh Lord, restore me. Come back to me. Come and work in my life again, O oh Lord. You see, that's the only reason you can explain Samson being in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. It's that right at the very end, he comes to his senses and he says, Oh Lord, remember me. Restore me. So, I just say to you, 
as you think about this story, this well-known story of Samson, what, what does all this say to us? And you know what I think it says most powerfully? I think it says to us that it's never too late with God. That's what I think the whole story is about. It's never, never too late with God. You see, some of us can hardly believe that. Some of us think that, really, to be honest, it's all over for us. We think that the, the future of the church lies with people who are a lot younger, a lot more spiritual, a lot more gifted uh, than us. But when we think like that, this story of Samson shows us that we're thinking so wrong. You see, in Samson's last day, he did more for God than in the previous 20 years of service. And in a race, and the Bible says that for the Christian, the Christian life is described as a race. And in a race, it's those, the last lap, it's those, the last 50 metres, when you begin to see the tape at the end, it's, the, it's that last bit that you run the hardest and determines the outcome of the race. After World War II, um, a great uh, orator, Winston Churchill, a man who um, was uh, probably one of the greatest speech makers that this nation has ever known, um, was invited back to his old school at uh, Harrow to give the Founders' Day speech. Winston Churchill is coming back, this great man, this, this great speech maker. And so the platform was full of the town's dignitaries and all the boys were gathered in the hall. And after uh, the preliminaries, uh, Winston Churchill was introduced he came to the lectern and he looked out at the gathered uh, boys and they all sat waiting for his speech and he said to them, young men, never give up. Never, never give up. Lads, never, ever, ever, ever give up. And he turned around and went and sat down. And you know, if there's one thing this story of Samson says to you and to me tonight, it's that. And I pass it on to you. Sunbridge Road Mission. With all that's going on in the life of the church, with all the things that may come to distract you, with all the difficulties you might face in the future, with all the things that's going on in, you, in your life as an individual, the message of Samson comes 
loud and clear. Never, never give up. Never give up following Jesus. Never give up standing for him, speaking for him, living for him. Hard though it is, tough though it is day by day, the message comes as you look at this man who ended up in the New Testament as, a, as God's example to say, remember Samson, who right to the very end was my servant. So never give up. Never give up. Carry on, young or old, right to the end, serving God.